Hey everybody, welcome to the official screenwriting podcast number 28. I'm Adam Levenberg. This week, tonight in fact, I saw Ender's Game. And we're going to talk about that a little bit after we cover some fun topics. And the we in the we that I just mentioned is Jeff Sussman of The Bat Signal. Jeff, how are you? I'm doing all right. That movie, I don't know yet. I, I don't know. We're going to talk about it after we hit a bunch of topics because I know that some people who are listening to this haven't seen the film yet and plan on it. I'm not ready to talk about it from a screenwriting perspective, but I am going to talk a little bit of news that you're not going to hear anywhere else. I'll talk about my personal experiences with that project. You'll talk about your personal life. (laughs) And uh, we'll get into some of that stuff after we cover some stuff. So Halloween is tonight, and I want anybody who listens to this podcast to go out and rent, or if you can find a video store anywhere near you, um, or you can Netflix the movie Trick or Treat. Oh, great movie. It's a, I gave you that why, recommendation. Why are we not talking about that tonight? Because because <laughs> I haven't prepared it. You know, one of the things people don't realize is I have to like watch a movie and take notes and figure out how I'm going to roll through all the thoughts on it. Um, and I ha- just haven't done that with that movie. That's but, not the only reason, though. Tell them what you told me about Ender's Game right before the, the recording. I'm not sure exactly which part of... You said you have never looked forward to anything. I have never looked forward to... In a, your life. Anything in my life. His longer. whole life. In my entire existence, I've never waited for anything longer than the film of Ender's Game because I think I read the book at 15 or 16 and knew that there was a movie franchise in it. And, you know, and at various points in my career, I sort of tried to check in on the project and look for angles and a way to get into it. Um, Now, you say you don't watch trailers. Did you watch trailers for this movie? I did watch, I, I saw the trailer when I saw Gravity, but I didn't go out, and I and I usually close my eyes for some of it. I didn't with Ender's Game, um, but again, I knew the book so well, because I'd read it like three times, that there wasn't anything that was going to sort of shock me. But again, we're not talking Ender's Game yet. Right. We're not talking Ender's Game you yet. You just saw it. I don't understand how you restrain yourself. I, you know, we're, we're an hour out of, out of the theater right now. I feel like there's some other stuff to cover before we get Still to this game. Still have popcorn holes in my teeth, and you can't, you just, okay. Moving on. Your so if, if you're in the audience, Trick or Treat, it's a great film. It is the greatest film that Warner Brothers ever put direct to DVD. Um, I believe it's at over 90% on Rotten Tomatoes, and the, the film itself is a four-star horror film. It is, it's absolutely. Per, it, it, and it's beautifully shot. It's not only scary with a lot of the perspective stuff that he does, but just the color saturation in that film is beautiful. And and Warner Brothers had financed it because Brian Singer was a producer on it. They sort of did it as a favor. They only put about like eight to ten million into the movie, and then when it came time to put it in theaters, Warner said, "Wait a minute, this is going to cost us forty million dollars just to put it in theaters after advertising. We're going to have to make ninety million to make a profit. We're never going to make ninety million because there's no way to market this movie. It's essentially an anthology. It's four interconnected stories that kind of go off on their own. So th- the result of that was they just didn't know what to do and eventually put it direct to DVD." Are you a horror fan to begin with, though? Yes, I love it when it's done well. I love it when it's done well. Anybody who's listened to the show has listened to my uh, the thing I did with Drag Me to Hell. I've done sort of extensive, and I'm producing a horror movie. The thing is, it's right. (laughs) The thing is, it's just not a horror movie. No matter how good the movie, it's really the first and foremost. It has to be scary. Mm -hmm. And Trick or Treat's scary. It has it has great great mood, great tone. Anna Paquin's in it. Anna Paquin is in it. Yeah. And guys, you know what I mean when I say she's in it, right? Uh-huh. Anyway. She's in it. So moving on, um, 
Blue is the warmest color is in theaters now. I believe neither of us has seen this. It's a three hour and 14 minute French film um, with subtitles about teenage lesbians. The film won the Palme d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival, which is their highest honor. And of course, it's very interesting. I looked it up. Um, the average film that wins at Cannes, the average North American box office, take a guess. Um, Mulholland two, Drive won one year. Uh, $2.5 million. Dollars. <laughs> 3.8. Oh, like, it's close. So, you know, when something wins can, it's like, well, that's really great and everything. And it gets all this attention and then it never makes money. So we'll see if this one does. Foreign films never break $10 million. It's happened a couple of times in in history. But the interesting thing is, so it's this three hour and 14 minute film about teenage lesbians. It got an NC-17 because anybody who's seen uh, this film is not yet rated, which have you seen that? It's an amazing yeah, documentary. I saw, it. I saw it. Amazing documentary that's available on and Netflix. I find the rating system so interesting. That's the first piece I've it's, ever... It's a bunch of Christian conservatives who will, you know, who have a very limited view of what young people should see. And they see the role as a parental advisory board, which is what it's called. It's called a parental advisory board. It's not law. You know, they it's some, And it's something that the studio system has bought into and finances. They pay, every time they submit a movie, they pay ten to $25,000 in order to, to get the film looked at. And that finances the MPAA, which started so that government wouldn't have to get involved with rating movies. But they have turned into a censorship board. And one of the things that they definitely don't like is gay sex, which, which they show in, uh, they show the side-by-side example where they show boys don't cry where there's just like this little sexual thing that happens and that's off limits except when they put a gun under the main character's mouth and shoot her and the blood shoots up the wall in the most graphic way that got an R rating so my point is that the IFC center in New York has said we're letting anybody despite the NC-17 rating for this specific film, we are going to overlook that. And if some teenagers show up, uh, we're going to let them into the theater. Mm, that's a great, yeah. I love that. I set. love that. You know, I remember when they when NC-17 came out. and just to 1990, show you, yeah. And to show you how stupid they were, because it didn't replace the X rating. It was a way of having like a more explicit R rating. Mm-hmm. And all that does is draw the kids. Eye. Remember, when, X when you're is looking not for the TV yeah. guide, when you're looking for the oh, you're going to look at, at the NC17 because you know that it's going to be filthy. Give it an R, and it's going <laughs> to mix in with all the other R's. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I would have had to sit through a lot of working girls to get to a Lady Chatterley's Lover if mm-hmm. there wasn't that. You know, NC17. I mean, it's just, you know, there's something. Well, it never, it never quite took off as a rating because the problem was that a lot of theaters are on 30-year leases; they do not own the land that they're built on. And in the contracts for those leases, they often specifically say you can only show movies that are G, PG, 13, R, and whatever. This is the excuse they gave, although some of these theaters would not be able to show PG-13 technically. So I think that was just sort of a lie by the theater chain. Right. Oh, we're not allowed to show it because what you couldn't show... The, the, well, here's the thing. No no landowner cares about a PG-13 movie when you're allowing ours. The problem was that they wanted to make sure, you know, the the, the an X-rated film, which was never copyrighted by the MPAA, does not have any... any if you've made a home video, you can put an X on it. You're welcome to. Um, the and, and the problem there was that... Um, or maybe it was the triple X that was never copyrighted. In any case, maybe the X rating was the triple, whatever. The, the NC-17 is the only one that made it into TV Guide. Yeah. You don't um, see any triple X and, you know. True. Um, so, you know, they tried to create something that was a little more adult. But, you know, the reality is that films show pretty explicit stuff. And the MPAA is wildly biased against anything sexual. The proof being any 
film with the war in it, you know? And it's interesting, Joan Graves, who runs the MPAA, came and spoke to one of my classes when I was in college, and the professor got in her face, pretty hardcore for somebody who was visiting, and he's sort of uh, Drew Casper, I'm talking about for any of you who know what I'm, uh, who I'm mentioning, and he really got in her face about the inconsistencies of, the, of how they treat sexuality and how they treat violence, because they do have values, and their values are that we will show the most explicit violence, we will not show sexuality. And uh, no matter how tastefully done, and the, repression, and they well, wonder it's, why it's we have a very such creeps it's, out it's there. their limited view of what's appropriate and what parents care about, and um, you know they see themselves as a parental advisory board. So that uh, I think we've said all we need to say. So I, I just think it's interesting. I think it's time for theaters to get rid of the restriction. I don't mind if the MPA calls a film R. I think it's appropriate for parents to make decisions about what their kids see up to a certain point. Um, and, and it's up to parents to decide when that point no longer exists. It's not even for me to say, okay, a 12-year-old should be able to see what they want to see, but a 12-year-old should be able to buy a ticket to whatever the hell they want to see. Because what I do know is it's inconsistent that a 16-year-old can watch the world's filthiest pornography, get in a car, drive to it on the roads with the rest of us, putting all of our lives at risk, go drive themselves to a theater and then try to buy a ticket. And they say, sorry, they say the word fuck too much. Yeah. So we're going to Lenny, Lenny Bruce used to talk all about that. Yeah. If you ever have a chance to see Lenny, I will, Hoffman. I will check it out. Um, <laughs> you mentioned that you found, you found a movie that I haven't seen. Congratulations. You seen Lenny? I've never seen Lenny. We'll do that it. was a Bob Fosse movie, right? It was Bob Fosse. Did it after Cabaret. It's a great seen it. understated film with a great performance mm-hmm. by Dustin Hoffman. I'll check it out. Um, I also learned why foreign film trailers, because I was complaining about this, foreign film trailers, I never understood why it's just a jumble of images, why they can't use some dialogue, because nobody's accidentally going to a foreign film. It's not like they're going to trick somebody into seeing a film they wouldn't have seen otherwise. It's like, you, nobody yeah, I finds saw a trailer like, for this movie Gloria last week before All is Lost, mm-hmm. and it was, you know... Are you, did they have subtitles in the trailer? When the characters were talking, it did, yes. It's interesting. Now, a lot of the time they don't, and that's what I was specifically complaining about, and apparently the problem with, and the reason so many foreign film trailers are just a mess of images is because with it played at this festival and that festival and that festival and this critic said this about it the reason they do that is because you have to keep the words on screen longer in trailers and trailers are cut much faster than films are actually cut (laughs) so the result is that if you have the people saying things it would just be impossible to keep up and it would just sort of throw the entire trailer off so they've decided that often often it's the case where they just show the images and let the try to get across what it's about. I didn't think of that. It annoyed me for a while, and I finally got my answer on that. Um, I also uh, ran into a writer, a friend of mine, whose movie is getting made right now, and I can't talk about it because a huge director is on as an executive producer, and they haven't announced the project so that they can do the film at a lower budget because the film's budgeted at like $1.2 million, and they know that if like the local crews find out that this guy's name is in any way associated with it, with it that like everybody's uh, quotes start going up. So they're, What is it, Spielberg? No, it's not Spielberg, but um, they're... The result of that is that they, they Jim haven't even announced the Jim, Jim, Jim Cameron. It's not that big, but it's pretty big. You would know. Um, 
him or her, you would know the director. But uh, uh-huh. Fritz was just associated as a produ- executive producer. But I found that just curious in terms of the means of making the movie that they haven't announced it. There's been no press. There's been no, you know, only a couple of the actors know that this director's name was attached to it simply so that they could keep the price of the movie down. Because if it went in, if they went in with the director's name attached and everybody starts assuming that they have more money than they do and that it's a, a sort of bigger project than it is. So I just thought I'd share that with the audience. It's a, it's a fun strategy. Good stuff. Um, by the way, great news. My book, has the starter screenplay, has been reduced in price for Kindle and in print. It's like 11 bucks and 60 cents uh, on Amazon right now. So if you, I'm going to buy it again. You you should. It's 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 a great experience. And if you well, my bathroom copy is getting worn out. <laughs> there are it's just worn down. It's dog-eared and the, the, the curled up is, back cover. I couldn't stop messing with the book every time I looked at it. So the print version is probably somewhat di- it's different than the Kindle version and whichever one you've read, you can read the other one and you'll probably get some new information and new stuff that I didn't transfer from one to the other or just decided, oh, I don't want to deal with the editing of it. And I just left stuff in one. And, you know, both of them are uh, things that I worked on. And I did think the one change that I would recommend that I don't stand by, the one thing that I think is uh, that I was too limited in or was simply representing the film world three years ago when I was writing it. Um, was that I would not recommend avoiding writing older characters. I think there is a market in the lower budget range for films starring older actors. And tonight we saw the trailer for Grudge Match with Sylvester Stallone and Robert De Niro, who had like a tie and a boxing fight 30 years ago, and it's today, and they're going to come back and do it again. Did anybody Um, see the Stallone schwarzenegger movie that just came no out. they didn't but so. that's but grudge match is a comedy and it has warner brothers behind it escape plan was i think well then it'll depend on how funny it is won't it uh yeah but it you know they have a great comedic director who's done some really big comedies peter siegel who did anger management he did uh, get smart and you know it's a big studio film starring these two guys and again if if writing a film for an actor who's between 50 and 70 i now think it's appropriate because those are the people who don't you know the audience members who don't illegally download they still go to the movies on a friday or or saturday night where are those who are these people our parents and they do tons and tons of video on demand they do which is which is incredibly lucrative to studios so the result of that is that you're going to be seeing more movies starring older actors billy crystal you know billy crystal's movie made as much movie as money as tom cruise's movie made last winter yeah so the the result of that is you're getting another billy crystal movie next year and you know these actors will continue to work in a lower budget range we'll see what last vegas does i don't even think it matters studios are going to keep looking to make movies with these people just at lower budgets so that's Um, the one thing you would change about your book well the the one thing i would take out that i I believe that yeah that it's now appropriate, you know, I suggested writing for sort of that sweet spot between other teenagers and teenager means a senior in high school um, to be played by a 25 year old or uh, to to write sort of between 25 and 40 because, you know, a 50 year old will be looking to play that 40 year old. So yeah. that was yeah. that was my recommendation. But now I think, no, you can write for older characters um, as long as, you know, it's a good starring role for a Michael Douglas, Billy Crystal, right. Kevin Klein, Morgan Freeman, Jane Fonda. All those guys are in Last Sally Vegas Field. together right now. Yeah, right? I know. Last Vegas is well, out. That, there we go. And this is true across genres because the, the older people romantic comedy 
which is gross, by the way. But it's so the That's Diane not Keaton's nice. always Diane. That's not nice. She's gorgeous, Diane Keaton. I'm, I didn't mean to mention Diane Keaton, right? I mean, I love Diane Keaton. Mm-hmm. Sure. Just, just with Tommy Lee Jones's butt or whatever, I'm thinking about if he, you know. I don't know why you're thinking of Tommy Lee Jones's butt. Just, it's just they're in bed and it's just okay. Are you talking about like, Jack Nicholson? Or did him she... too. Him, <laughs> all these guys already with the, you know, something's got to give people. All right. Um, Is it true if you read your book backwards, it's Ghostbusters too? <laughs> Not exactly. All right. We have anyway. stuff to talk about with Ender's Game. Yeah, um, man. Are you and ready to get to it already? Come on. Almost. Let me just, one quick announcement that you can still hire me 99 bucks for a concept consultation. And I think that that is, to, why wouldn't somebody, again, it doesn't have to be me, but you got to talk to somebody about whatever ideas you're working on because you can't put a year into a screenplay if the idea doesn't work or if you're fundamentally off on an idea, you know, in terms of say you're, you have everything else right except you're writing a 35 year old instead of. Your time is well worth 99 bucks to, you can, you could save yourself months well, I talk of to work. people for like an hour and I don't cut it off if we're still talking after an hour. It's not like I'm like, all right, time to go click. You know, I will vouch for you right here on the air. What he will do is be supportive in the best way. I would say, according to who he's talking to and where you are with their project, mm-hmm. I, you know, you, you tend to tailor your advice to, I think you're, Ultimately optimistic, no matter where the person is on the on the learning well, curve. Everybody has, you know, when I started doing this, I had to, I, I would get really frustrated and I wouldn't have the words to help them because a lot of times writers were so new and so green. And over time, I've learned that, you know, you don't have to, I don't look at things on a scale of good or bad because a screenplay is not bad bad i mean there's moments in movies that you can look at and say well that's bad because it's the final product but it often to represents if there's something that's wrong um we can figure out exactly why that is i can ask the writer questions well did you take this into account did you take that into account what were you doing here and depending on their answer you can figure out what elements of the education that they need as a screenwriter are they missing and once you give that to them, then I don't have to call something wrong. They see that, you know, they see that it's it doesn't function properly. They now have a tool to fix it. And they're never going to make that mistake again, hopefully. You know, I've met with some you know, writers who I, have an incredibly... I got to tell you, Adam, yeah. that, that's, uh, it's the same thing. And I don't have kids, but that's the definition of parenting. I'm you know, not a parent. You're frustrated you're with the You're not hiring kids. me for 99 bucks to be your parent. I think you, in I the process gonna... of learning how to, to how to teach screenwriting, you've also learned how to ultimately raise a child. So <laughs> get ready for a lot of scripts from 12-year-olds and from people I don't even writing about dog. old people. I don't want a dog. Um, it's like too much responsibility. Just saying, it sounds like the same thing as parenting. You know, you learn that you, they're, they're, they're that. green and you're frustrated because you don't know how to teach them or why they wouldn't understand Well, at the it. beginning, that's how I was as a consultant. It's definitely... Exactly. Hopefully it's not too late and you're, these screenwriters won't grow up to be strippers and, <laughs> and whatnot. <clears throat> Ender's Game. So I have a long history with this project. I read the book as a teenager and I read it a couple of times actually because everybody passed it around in school. <laughs> and um, that was back when we didn't have devices for reading books. You we pirated. Just, yeah. You illegally loaned. Uh, yeah, true. Um, and, you know, I knew that this would make a great film. Uh, and over time, I sort of tried to, what I, I call this babysitting the rights, which is that you keep checking in on stuff. Because my rule is, you know, you might see that this big project that you read about is set up at this studio and this person came on to the project and this person is writing it, this person is directing it. And the one thing that I've learned from just being around a little while is that 
everything changes. You can almost, it's like a safe bet that whatever project you're talking about that you're interested in will eventually become available again. Whoever's involved with it will no longer be involved with it. And look, sometimes the movies get made, as we saw tonight. But, you know, I always sort of stayed on top of where uh, Scott Card, the writer of the book, um, he doesn't use the name Orson uh, in his personal life, I guess. Um, Scott Card, I always stayed on top of where he was represented. I made sure that I would, like, sit down with his representatives and talk to them about what other clients they had. But then I'd find out what was going on. You know, I was at a company that had a video game sister company and tried to sort of figure out, was there a play to do an Ender's Game game? You know, there, there was always, um, I was, I was always sort of, oh, and when I, uh, my cousin represented Haley Osmond, it still does actually, she still represents him. She found him when he was five years old. Um, and after the sixth sense, I gave her Ender's Game and I don't even know why she took the time to read it, I guess, because it was important for her to find potential projects for him or at least show that she was doing that at that point, you know, where he sort of blew up as an actor who could get movies made very for, for a very short window. But, um, the, you know, they ended up talking with the producers and, you know, everybody loved the sixth sense and he would have made a great ender. I still, I still believe that, that, you know, had they made you know that what? movie the back sixth in sense, a, the sixth sense has, the point of Sixth Sense has actually multiple audiences. It's for adults, and kids could like it too. It's Let not me ask that. You, I'm asking you ask the actor. We, well, we just want... I get it. And so we just watch Ender's Game. But I have to just ask you this. Who is this movie for? Is it a philosophy movie for adults? Because to me, I would rather watch Goonies or The Last Starfighter than this movie again. Okay. Um, it's... A I thought it was a okay. film. It's a, it's a film that is supposed to appeal to everybody. You think kids will like this movie? Maybe not. I think kids will be bored. Here's the thing. It's quite possible kids will be bored, but there's probably enough fun stuff in terms of the wish fulfillment, in terms of the fantasy of being in that situation and behaving like an adult, which I write about in my book, and it annoys me. And this goes back. I think there's some good screenwriting advice here. I think it's also a history. Um, kids in movies have to function like adults. They have to be little adults. They just have to be. They're not. Um, and John Truby, who's a big screenwriting guru, has issues with that. He it, it just under it rubs him the wrong way that kids behave like little adults. But he still re understands that they sort of have to, and that's how they're often represented. And they're shown with the wisdom well beyond their years, which is true even of. Um, you know, whatever, if you look at actors who get Oscar nominations, often it's the character who's got that wisdom beyond his years. Well, what's, um, what's great about Annie, for instance, is that like she's, you know, she's forced to act like an adult and that helps her function in the story. But we saw, we know that she's just being brave and that she really is just like a little girl. So you can build it into the character. Mm -hmm. Like she had a reason to be confident and boisterous. She was compensating. Yeah. For her vulnerability and made her so she could engage with adults and talk to adults. And that's fun for kids. At least it was fun for me as a kid. I, I believe that I'm somewhat in touch with the ideas of wish fulfillment. And I believe that a kid who saw this movie could probably get into the idea that they could be that a 10 year old or an 11 year old could be the savior of the universe could be the one could be the person who's going to lead us into battle to save humanity it was such, there were such blurry lines and you know it's your show I, i'm not gonna i don't know how much you don't wanna, I, you don't want to give away too many spoilers here but i mean i or do you but the point i is, think we're cool if hey if you haven't seen ender's game and you're definitely going to see it then bail well <laughs> I, it was just, I mean there there are as you would say some ideas of value there are some cool scenes but mm -hmm. it's not 
if I mean, you're the expert, but to me, it's not really a movie. Like, I, um, that's it fair. wasn't really funny. There's no real clear villain. It's not funny. Um, and there's no clear villain for a really good reason because the and aliens no one, no are to not fear. trying to uh, trying to attack us. But what there's ways of uh, that they maybe could have addressed that because you know there's two problems with this movie. One, it was about a guy who never lost. It's interesting. They show mission fail, but I believe that he never loses. It in was the, like in the book. It, it felt um, like J.J. Abrams directed a Terrence Malick movie. <laughs> well, there's that confusion they to make it this action and sci-fi, but there's really, it's just like a movie about, it's just ideas. There's all these weird like philosophies. It's just like, well, what if this character did that? How would this person react as opposed to a story with stakes that I know what the, what again, what you're there. talking about is that there's no ticking clock near the end. There's no, and they try His to family deal with is that. boring. Ender's family at home. He, there's no reason to well, miss Well, they're, they're miss not, them. there's, there's, you're not going to have that much time to, uh, there's nothing wildly interesting about the family other than the brother was sort of, the brother was one side of it. The sister was the other side of the equation and Ender was a combination of both of them, a combination of anger and love. Yes. And, and that, but that, isn't that the point that it's not just because Ender is a genius that he's able to be so brilliant. Mm -hmm. It's also because he was raised by certain, by, by because of how he was raised. Yeah, I don't know. The, he was a master, book. not only of the technology, but of, of, of his own humanity more than anybody else had been able to display before. He was, he was a product of the, the home that he was in. I don't know that I would finally got raised, interesting. But... In the, it finally gets interesting in the last five minutes, people. <laughs> I'm serious. Poke your head in. If you, if you're out, <laughs> you know what I mean? If you're out if you're seeing, seeing gravity again or Las Vegas, yeah, just uh, step in for the last half hour. Elysium's still in IMAX in some theaters. I'll put that out there. I haven't even seen it yet. Yeah. Check that out. Um, yeah, I, I don't want to shit on your movie. No, I mean, no, no, no. And I was, I was so excited to see it and I was so excited to see these things brought to life. It's a very faithful adaptation in the book, but, um, the, it has the avatar problem. And here's... I even liked Avatar. I hate to say this because I'm not an Avatar fan, but I even liked Avatar more than this. Oh, that's fair. That's fair. I like. I probably like so Avatar more, more action, than this. More action, more colors. It's, just... it's more of a movie. But the thing that Avatar is missing, because Avatar, of course, as we all know, is basically the same movie as The Last Samurai. It's the la same movie as Dances oh, with yeah, Wolves. Yeah. It's, let, me not, uh, let me make it clear one more time. I'm not really an Avatar fan. I, but I mean... I don't, I don't know why you keep making that point. <laughs> because it's the highest grossing movie ever so, and I uh, don't think it's that even that great of a movie but when you put it up it against... is a great it is a great film however it's two hours and 45 minutes long it's impressive filmmaking craft thank you I, can you not say I'm trying to make a point <laughs> um, your point and you do have one we and we have about 10 minutes so do it um the the avatar problem as I as I would call it is that avatar is two hours and 40 minutes long dances with the bulls was like three hours long. Titanic was three hours and 14 minutes long. And what you are missing in Avatar is texture. What you're missing are scenes where the characters um, have some time to have human interactions. And the result of not having those scenes is that when we have the Sam Worthington character in Avatar, you know, say calling the guy in the tribe his brother, and I can't even remember the guy's character name because he's so minor. And we've never seen, a, and, and here's the thing, you might say, well, how do you develop that relationship between these two characters? Because when Sam Worthington calls him brother and the guy goes, you are not my brother, you know, there's it's so nothing on the nose. there. It's so well, on the nose. Okay, but that's not the problem, Jeff. The problem is, and the, the lack of screenwriting there, is that we haven't had a we haven't had a relationship developed, quote unquote, with those two characters. And you might say, well, we don't have time for a bunch of scenes. Here's the secret. You don't need a bunch of scenes. You need one scene and you need one moment where they really connect as people. 
And that's the shorthand that all screenwriting sort of exists on. And without those scenes of texture, um, the rest of it feels kind of mechanical. And that, because all those points still need to exist. I mean, you know, I'm suggesting that Avatar would have been a much better movie and may have had a chance at winning Best Picture if it had been 15, 20 minutes longer. If we had had just more scenes so that we could have had more interactions, humanized the tribe more and the characters of the tribe and spent more time with all of them in in that exploration of the new planet so that you're keeping the audience, you know, interested visually with uh, not only with the story stuff and the character stuff, but also all the new visuals that we're getting. And then the story can kind of go on autopilot after that. But that's what Ender's Game was missing. What was the running time on Fern Gully? <laughs> the same exact story and it's probably probably the best execution uh, of it out of all of the movies just mentioned fair enough um i don't know what the running time of ferngully was but i did look up the running time of three minutes <laughs> i did look up the running time of the hunger games because ender's game is released by the same studio i think it's a crime that this movie was not in 3d i know that some people aren't into 3d i am uh, and the fact that the director says, well, it wasn't right for the camera work and the way that I needed to get into the characters' faces and the way he wanted to shoot. And you know what? Um, if this movie had happened at a really big studio, it would have been in 3D. And that's how, by the way, creative, you know, when you hear about directors leaving for creative decisions, the studio says, well, that's nice. We're doing it in 3D. You're going to make it look really good, right? Because if you don't say right back to them, then they're done with you. Well, then how did that function when Zack Snyder said the studio wanted him to do Man of Steel in 3D? And he, I thought they he released it in 3D. No, they didn't. What? No, he didn't shoot it. No, Man of Steel wasn't in 3D. No, you're saying that Man of Steel was not in 3D in theaters. As far as I remember, Man of Steel was not. No, Man of Steel was not in 3D in theaters. It was in IMAX. Yes, it was because it's available on Blu-ray 3D. Well, then it was. All right. Well, and it I'm was just, put on IMAX. And it, that's yes, right. It, I'm remembering incorrectly, but he didn't shoot it in 3D. Well, he can shoot it however the hell he wants, but ultimately they're going to do. Ultimately, they're, he knew that they were going to put were it concerned. in 3D. That's what I remember reading. They were concerned because he was using all of these close ups and basically using a style that was going to make it impossible to convert it well into 3D. That might have been an issue, but you know, you find that out as you're making the movie. Um, Russell Crowe back also to said the, the single camera thing, you know? Back to the point uh, of, of screenwriting. There's no texture in Ender's game, there's no scenes where he's having fun there's no scenes there's no life inside of the character he's just sort of dark and tortured and you know we don't show him getting in touch with sort of that aggression in a fun way and we don't see him really celebrating we don't see him or he could have been like had more fun in the beginning of the movie yeah. and then gradually had to get more serious as a response sure. to his environment. Sure, that would have that created more of an arc. I, I don't think it's a, this is not the fault of the actor. The actor is great. He's the kid from Hugo. Yeah. Um, and terrific I, actor, but... Um, and Harrison Ford, we did nothing wrong, but what a wash of a role. I don't even understand. Why would Harrison Ford okay, take here's a role the thing, like that? Because there's two levels to everything. Because he knows about the big twist at the end. And that means that everything that he does is based on um is based on knowledge that is much more than what he's allowed to let on or reveal in his interaction with the children and on top of that he's not even sure if he's doing the right thing or doing the wrong thing he's just doing it because that's what those characters are there to do and he has that understanding of it um didn't that frustrate you as the viewer i found him difficult to i mean i know because there's different levels to it and he had an understanding when when the character says you know th that we don't have time he knows that the attack is coming uh in a way that the, the characters in the film don't Are we doing good 
How, mu- how much more time do we have for the rest of the podcast? Right. Uh, according to our studio facility and band of producers, we have about 12 and a half minutes left. Oh, terrific. So, you know, I found it interesting to watch his performance. And for an actor, that's the kind of shit they look for. Because they're playing different levels. And Tilda Swinton took Michael Clayton for the last moment when she has to face George Clooney. Like that kind of thing. You've Right? Uh, well, maybe, I mean, it's a, well, it's you're a talking, great role anyway, that, and so that's maybe, that's just the first thing I thought of, but I, I hear what you're saying. That it's about a, that one moment. Well, but no, it's about more than that. It's about that every time he opens his mouth, he has to sort of represent two realities. And that's a really exciting thing for an actor to figure out how to Bruce, do. It. And Bruce Willis by the way, and Sixth Sense kind of thing. Yeah. And well, no, because I'm dead, no. but I'm playing that I don't know I'm dead. So I'm, I'm playing. By the way, can I, can I just say, I'm not editing this, so. Fuck it if people heard it, but you can't depend upon people not ha- having seen the Sixth Sense anymore. It was so long ago that you just ruined it for some people. Congratulations. Oh, there's a statute. Right. There's a big time statute of limitations. I, like, I sort of agree. You know but, what? But it's, it come, this, but it's a reverse statute of limitations okay. um, because and, and it's Vader, been so Vader is Luke's father. And Vader is Luke's father. It's Go been on. So long. Vader is Luke's that, father. Uh, Go on. All right. The Emperor is evil. Go on. So actors. Bruce love, Wayne is Batman. Actors love, sometimes actors love that they don't know immediately how it all plays or what they feel about it or what they, it intrigues them more than that other thing that they put down and don't think about anymore. So for Harrison Ford, who doesn't have a ton of options, meaning he could work or not work. He never has to work again. He, you know, it's long past that. He flies planes and like looks for polluters and stuff. He's like a real life action hero, but. Um, so he's, he's got his own planes. He's got his own, you know, thing going on. He's got more money than he ever needs. So he has a choice. Do I work or do I not work? And when you find something that's interesting to you, you do it. So, you know, you might see him in two, you've already seen him in one movie this year. Um, 42 and he's, he's in, great in 42. He's in this movie. He and you know great what? In 42. If he can find other scripts, but he doesn't have to do say last Vegas. He doesn't have to do something just because there's a piece of business there where, um, you know, and I, I make that film reference. I actually haven't read that script, but I reference it because the reviews haven't been so great. But he could have for any, I mean, again, like somebody like Harrison Ford looks and says, you know, if I'm going to do another sci-fi movie, this is the one to do. This is the most interesting character. And I, I agree with that. That's why it's interesting because he's always playing two levels. He knows more and he has to figure out what the appropriate way to deal with this kid is and how to train him properly. The thing that I will say in this movie's defense is that every time I thought to myself, wow, they really missed that or they're not getting it or they're not sharing the the sort of uh, things that happen in the book bam, that that would happen. And that's good. That's the next level of screenwriting, which is that often um, you have to, you want things to be clear, but you also want to constantly be creating mysteries. And the next level of screenwriting, usually it's like, I'll have notes on a script as I write and I'll ask questions. And if you're paying off those questions, then I'll stop asking questions. Because I'll be like, Prometheus. That's what I like a lot about Prometheus. I was a big fan of Prometheus. It's fair that some people don't like it. It's because it's not a one hero only movie. I I wasn't sure. I walked out of the theater. I still wasn't sure. I had to think about it. Lots of people did not like that movie. And it made a ton of money. I loved it. But some people can't connect to it for, you know, the reasons of you don't have a single hero except check out um, the deleted scenes on the on the director's cut blu-ray i will, I will. awesome so they have a lot of finished alien shots that i think a lot of the people that didn't like it thought were missing from the movie and okay. it was a, a choice that ridley scott made was to say hey you know we're gonna leave that that out it's too too much tied to the what i did li- later on or previously depending on yeah um how you look at it 
so I, th- I think that's all I have to say about Ender's Game for now. I, I may go see it again in IMAX because I didn't see an IMAX tonight. How much time do we have? Not going to make a difference. We should go see Elysium in IMAX. Yeah, you got a few minutes, but I mean, you know, no reason to bore these people. The movie will do that plenty for you. This, the movie was kind of a snore. I got to tell you, if I'm if I'm telling you I liked Independence Day more, and no offense, and you know, it's not that I felt it was poorly directed or anything. I don't even know whether to blame the screenwriter. Well, by the way, hold on. What kind of material is this to adapt? Okay, the screen... Here, I'm going to... Just talk for a second with me about We are far enough into this podcast, Chef. I'm going to make news here. I'm going to tell you things that nobody knows. I was told that they spent over $20 million on screenplays for this script. $20 million. Not in the incarnation it's in. uh, At all. It is... uh, they spent $20 million back when it was at a studio. That's what I was told. I can't confirm that. I did not speak with the, the executive directly, but I was told that they had put over $20 million into the project at various points. A director comes on board. They start having artwork made, and they start you know, meeting with people. And development hell. Um, that's a different level of development on a film like this, where they really have to start putting together visual effects and and see if the, you know if you're going to make a commitment. If a studio made, at the time, $50 million commitment to make a movie like this, you'd have to like put together some visual stuff to show them before they would give you all that money um so in any case they spent so much money developing this project and from what i heard the writer had final approval on the script and always said no never was happy with the scripts and because we're sort of in a a franchise age where sci-fi stuff can be done at a different level maybe that's a good thing because scott card was involved with this i will say real quickly some people are boycotting this film because he's made some pretty ridiculous comments uh against the gay community and against gay marriage and he's sort of out there in a way that um is you know what i'd still watch yeah does that does that make sense to you does that make sense to you that the that's like jewish people that's like you know i'm jewish i I would go see a movie any movie mel gibson you see get him the gringo or get the gringo it's on netflix i I didn't but i loved i loved apocalypto braveheart i'm not going to turn my back on on somebody i mean it's it's art man i i don't want to necessarily have dinner with him yeah uh i would totally have dinner with him i'm sure he's a cool guy and uh, I'm not turning it down, though. <laughs> if you're out there, just understand it's a Jew, a long tradition of Jews, and it, there's been a lot of oppression. Yeah, so it's not, it's not you, it's, <laughs> it's not us, it's you. I, it's, it doesn't have to be any of us, but All I'll right. still see your movies. Get the Gringo is on Netflix, and it's really, really cool. There's a part where he gives like a ten year old a cigarette. It's just so badass. That's so him. He's got to screw loose mm-hmm. in, a, in the best possible way. It's one of my favorite movie. Openings. Always interesting, right? He's if any of you start watching Get the Gringo, he's a huge fan of the Three Stooges, and there's some great Three Stooges humor in the first couple of minutes of Get the Gringo. Yeah. It's about. Do you know it's about like this prison city in Mexico? It's about like this. It's city where the kid literally prisoners have kids who come into the prison, they leave the prison during the day to go to school, and they found it while they were doing Apocalypto. Why didn't we see that movie tonight? Like, and, and that, like what we just saw, I just feel, I would much You know what? I would be willing to bet this, if you want to talk about the book for a second, but because I know you're about to close it out, just to bring it back to Ender's Game one last time, I'll bet the book is great. And the book is amazing. I can see why you would have thought now, it was a good movie. Let me ask, after seeing the movie, would you, are you, because I, I recommended the book and you didn't read it. Are you more or less interested? I know that you say that it might be a great book. Would you read the book or? I actually would read the book. I don't picture myself doing it like, you're going to laugh at this when I say this. Not right now. <laughs> no, no. I mean, because I Fair just, enough. I'm like fresh off of it. But it's, if it came into my hands at some point in like, let's say a year or two down the road, I would easily read it because I thought what they were getting at was interesting. And you should consider doing an episode of this podcast 
adaptations are interesting. How far I don't do I don't do that because I recommend to new writers not to do adaptations. No, it's a fair enough. It's a pro, it's you a talk about process unto itself. Well, maybe you could talk a little bit about movies who because that adapting material. How close do you, do you have to stay? I mean, no, that's not what you do. But how close? It do you depends have to stay if to you have the, if you require the writer's approval to make the movie, then you have to stay pretty damn close as you, this movie did. I get it. This movie was Don't very. You have to find this a movie, movie was. Here's what I'll leave this on. This movie was literally forty pages from the book. That's the best way I can call. The best I can call it. It's forty to maybe more. Maybe they got eighty pages in, but it's a everything that's in the forty movie, pages of the script from the book. Not it's not forty literal pages out of the book. No, forty literal pages out of the book. Michael Crichton said that any movie is forty pages of a book. So if you start with a three hundred and fifty page book, you need to get rid of three hundred and ten pages in order to write your movie. Um, and that's a good. I'll take Michael Crichton. And he's the greatest writer ever. And, or of 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 it's pretty bold. Of, oh, <laughs> I'm Adam Levenberg, and that's been the show. <laughs> we gotta go now. I can't. I'm gonna qualify that next up. Uh, next episode, I will start off talking about why I called him the greatest writer ever. All right, we gotta end the episode. All right. Thanks for having me, man. Uh, Happy to have you. Thanks.